Hey, go ahead. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter 1. So we're week two in a series that we're calling The Ordinary Means of Grace. You see the graphic behind me. Um, not that they're ordinary in the sense that they're just kind of bland, but that they are something that God has given to us that everybody can partake in as a way to grow closer to Christ, right? So we talked about this last week. We talked about the benefits of redemption. And so uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three of those benefits that God has given to us. The first one we're going to look at this morning is his word, the word of God. Next week, we'll dive into prayer and then we'll finish up uh, in our final week of the series in the sacraments, which uh, is the Lord's Supper, communion and, and baptism. Here's how we defined what we mean when we say the means of grace. Here was the definition from last week. It's God's appointed instruments by which the Holy Spirit enables believers to receive Christ and the benefits of redemption. So we unpacked grace a little bit and we, we gave ourselves a little bit of a fuller understanding of what grace is. Grace is, is not just God's unmerited favor that saves you upon the point of your believing the gospel and repenting of your sins. It is that and that's a massive thing. But grace also not only saves you, but grace also sustains you. So that unmerited favor that enabled you to have your heart changed from the evil and the wickedness that it was born into. Sorry, kids. I didn't make up the rules on that one, right? Um, that grace that saved you, that turned your heart and made you want to believe the gospel and to receive God's promises and blessings and forgiveness of sins. It's also the grace that just keeps you living in that day after day. And that's what we learned last week is that grace saves and sustains. And so our call was to approach these means of grace, these benefits of redemption with both diligence and desperation. So it re requires us to, to be practiced and to be disciplined um, in, in how we approach these things like prayer and God's word and the sacraments. It also requires us to do it with desperation, knowing that, man, we have this great need before God, right? We're not just doing these things to, to save us or to, or to earn God's favor. That favor has already been earned. We do it as a way and as a means to stay close to Jesus. This is what we said last week. We said the pursuit of happiness is a pursuit of holiness, so this drive to become more like Christ, more holy like Christ, progressively more righteous like Christ is actually a pursuit of holiness and it is the most happy way that we can go about programming our lives in, in a very real sense. And so we learned that last week that these means of grace are the benefits of redemption. And so today, this morning, we're going to dive really into the first one, which is God's word. And I was thinking this week about, man, just all of the words that we are inundated with. I mean, good Greek this week alone, right? And all the words just pouring in, coming in through conversations, through TV, through music, through social media, through news channels, through podcasts, man, we get words all over the place from all different kinds of people that filter into our lives, whether it's a, a teacher or a preacher or a friend or a spouse or our kids. And words are literally relentlessly just pouring into you from everywhere, from all sides. You, you can't avoid words. They're, they're practically inescapable and they can be both 
innocuous on one side and they can be both indoctrinating on the other side depend on, depending on the word, right? I mean, words can come in one ear and just go out the other because it's just like candy. It's like junk food. It doesn't really do much for you. It might taste good. It might sort of like tickle your mind a little bit with news and information, but ultimately as quickly as it comes in, it goes out and it doesn't even stick with you. And then we get other words that are, they may be innocuous too, but they're, they're far more indoctrinating, meaning they communicate either truth or lies that we choose to govern our lives by. And so in that way, words are important because words influence us, right? And what I mean by influence is that they can direct us and they can also damage us because they lead us in bad directions. And because of that, words can wound us. I can recall words that people have leveled at me over the years that have just wounded me, right? And it was because many times they, they were false words. And then there are those times when they were true words. And those wounded maybe equally, if not worse. Words can build up, words can tear down. What we know about words is that they have power. And so one of the ordinary means of grace that God has given us, one of the benefits as one of the benefits of our redemption is, is just that. It's his word. It's the word of God. And here's what we know about the word of God, right? Just as a baseline, just kind of kicking this thing off is that everything God wants us to know about himself, including his will for our lives, his plan for our salvation through Jesus Christ, it's all contained in the Bible, it's all contained in God's words, which describes, by the way, his word as this, when we go to Psalm 119, as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. There is this illumination that comes to us every time we open God's word and we read it and we receive it and we pray that God would, would create greater light in our hearts for it in terms of our understanding. Psalm 18 says this, listen, it says, this God, his way is perfect. And then the psalmist says, the word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. So listen to this. God's word is a light because it's truth. And truth illuminates. So God's word proves true. Not, not because it's just bound in this book that we have labeled the Bible, but because it speaks of God's ways, which are perfect which then means everything he says to us can be relied upon for our best good. Why? Because God is fiercely committed to his glory. And so if you're a God that is fiercely committed to your glory because the, you know that the more you are glorified, the more it is good for the people that you want to receive the glory from, then you know that every word God has allowed to be written about him to give him glory is for our good. Does that make sense? Let's look at how Peter explains this and assures us about the truthfulness of God's word and why we want to make every effort to devote ourselves to it. Second Peter uh, chapter one, verse 16, this is what it says. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we 
when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Remember that was the time of Jesus' baptism. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp, there's that word lamp again, shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone, someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna stop right there. This is what Peter's saying is that men spoke from God as they were carried along, as they were, we, we call this inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we would do well to pay attention to these words as to a lamp shining in a dark place as illumination, as something that lightens the darkened places and spaces and areas of our hearts that don't want to believe what's true to be true about God. The Bible brings illumination and light. In fact, the Apostle Paul breaks what Peter says down a little further in 2 Timothy 3.16. You don't have to turn there, but this is what he says. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable, he says. Well, profitable for what? Well, he tells us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? Well, he tells us that too, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So then how do we experience God's grace by the means of his words. Well, Paul lays out two things for us here in Timothy, two ways. He says, really through preaching and then personal study. So let's just unpack that for a minute. Let's look at what uh, Paul means when he talks about preaching and teaching. When he says right there that all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, what does he mean by that? Well, this is what it means, is that we receive God's word just like what you're doing right now. We receive it through preaching. It's a crazy thing. God works somehow through men like me, many far more skilled, I mean, we don't even have to discuss that, right? To deliver God's word to you, which the Holy Spirit then uses and applies to your heart and your soul and your mind. That, that's why none of this, like none of what you see up here is ever about me and ever about my words. First Thessalonians 2 tells us this, proves to what I'm saying to you is true which is why it's not my words, it's God's word that you need to hear. This is what Paul says to the church in, in the Thessalonians. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, he's talking to this church that he preached to, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, Paul says, the word of God, which is at work in you Believers. So every week you receive the words I preach to you, not as my words, but as God's word, which through the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus told us in John 14, will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that Jesus has said to us through his word. And so somehow in God's plan and in his economy, he uses preachers 
And he uses their personalities, right, to do this. But listen, the preacher only has power in the sense that he speaks the words of the Lord, which contain all the power, right? Now, like, I can get all high and mighty when I got, like, my Roku remote, and I'm clicking that thing, and, like, that magic 11 and a half inch screen that I have, you know, the big plasma we got on the wall, um, when that thing magically like comes to life. And I can feel like, hey, Melissa, look, I know how to do a magic trick. I click on this thing and the whole thing comes to light. But that's not really me. That's just me clicking a button on a Roku that will then bring up images of people saying words. We call that television, I think, last time I checked. So in the real way, in a very real way, I can only point you to the content. That's what I do. I point you to the content. And by content, we mean God's word. And by God's word, we mean God's son. But I can only point you to the content and then just plead with you to listen and obey. And somehow God speaks through that. And because of that, preaching as a method is something that the world considers just utterly weak and weird. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, make a left, go back a few books and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Hear what Paul has to say about preaching and the ridiculousness of, of preaching, but how it is the effective means and ways that God uses to make his word alive in people. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, picking up in verse 18, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And in verse 20, Paul, Paul asks this question. He goes, who is the one, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Man, there's so much there to unpack. We can't do that other than to point out what Paul is saying is that God works through preaching of the word, the foolishness of preaching, some dude up there pointing you to God's word, applying God's word, reminding you of the gospel, telling you that you need not despair, calling you to repentance, telling you that there's hope because of the cross and there's forgiveness of sins if you would just submit and commit your life to Jesus. All of that ridiculousness, that same sermon that I preach to you every week, God uses it. God uses it. It's what he uses. It's what we, he used on us for our salvation and what, it's what he continues to use as he grows us in our salvation. So God works through preaching, which is why we plant more churches with more pastors who preach more of God's word. Romans 10 tells us why this needs to happen. Paul tells the church in Rome, he says, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? 
In other words, if they've never heard of Jesus, how can they believe in someone they haven't heard? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? In other words, man, we got to plant churches. We got to be on mission. We got to get people out there to launch these churches. We got to get men up there who are going to preach these churches. We got to do this thing because this is the method that God uses to bring people into the kingdom. That's why we want to be a church planning church. That's why we're part of a church planning network. That's why we're part of the EFCA. We're part of a denomination, man, that is just committed to continue planning churches. That's why, man, I want to plant some more churches. I don't know how we're going to do that, but I want to do that because that's the call. That's where the change comes from. That's where the communities are altered. That's where everything that God has purposed for his church happens. It's also through preaching that we receive the benefit, like Paul points out in 2 Timothy, of reproof and correction. Meaning this, God's word points out sin and it offers a solution, right? Hebrews 4 tells us this about God's word. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So as you hear God preached, you hear God's word preached to you, it helps you understand what it is that you're thinking inside and how you're processing things and how your worldview and your beliefs, whether they're lining up with what God tells us is true about him. It discerns your thoughts. It discerns your intentions and your motivations of your heart. And it says this at the end of Hebrews 4, he says, and no creature is hidden from his sight. So the word has this way of exposing our nakedness before God. Because he says here, all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. So the word does that gracious work and that it teaches us, but it also brings us into reproof and correction. It tells us things, maybe hidden or buried sins that we have. Maybe some patterns in our life that have emerged that we're just, man, we're not even seeing. And then somehow we hear the word preached and we have those moments like we do during our liturgy where we have this time of confession and all of a sudden God reveals by the work of the Holy Spirit something inside of you that's off. Man, I've been living in this particular way or a pattern is formed or, or my thought life is off or I've, I've grown cynical or there's some bitterness in my life that has emerged. What do I do with that? Well, God's word surfaces it in us. God's word also is good for, it says, training in righteousness, which means it trains us to know what's true. It trains us to know how to apply that truth. James chapter 417 says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. So God tells us what those right things are to do so that we can do them. And then when we don't do them, God's word also comes in and it corrects us and it reminds us that we are not going to find our best life now by not obeying the things that God has given to us to leave not necessarily our best life now, that's later, but a life of flourishing now that is looking towards the life that God is preparing for us to have. So God's grace, you see, is given to us through his word when we hear it preached. It's also given to us through our personal study of it. 
Psalm 119, 147, the psalmist writes this. He says, I rise before dawn and I cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. In Acts 17, 11, we're reminded, we went through this in our series through Acts, when uh, talking about the Jews who were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word from Paul with all eagerness. And it says, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So we hear the word preached, but the word needs to become something that we do in terms of how it shapes our personal lives. So that's why you having a devotion time at whatever time that may work for you in your schedule, but a time where you are opening to God's word, you are having some quietness, you are having some minutes of uninterrupted reflection so that you can read and you can stop and you can pray what you're reading and you can ask God to reveal what he needs to teach and instruct you. You can ask God to reveal if there's anything in your life that needs reproved or corrected. And in that pattern of holiness and godliness and godly practice, we find that we are being trained in righteousness while all of that is happening. So what are we called on to do then with this preaching and this personal study? Well, James warns us in his letter, and we're gonna be picking back up with James, by the way, in February, but James warns us in his letter to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. So our, our call with all of this information we get about preaching and personal study, our call is to love God and to keep his word. That's what we do with this, with this stuff, right? You, you, like you're not learning more about God just to learn more about God, right? You're not, you're not just learning more about God because you're somebody who just likes to acquire, you know, additional information about some religion, like that's not the end game here. The end game with preaching and personal study with a devotion to God's word, which is one of our means of grace, is to love God, to develop a greater affection for Christ and to keep his word. And this is what's so interesting for us when we talk about keeping God's word. So this doesn't come down like a legalistic just hammer on top of all of your heads. But keeping God's word is dependent, actually, on our love for God. Right, so here's, here's what I mean by that. If you don't keep God's word, you don't really have an obedience problem. Listen, as much as you have an absence of love problem for God. See, maybe you grew up in a church that was just, just hammered at you all the time. Keep God's word, keep God's word. And you got a preacher's like, like fist is all like bloodied at the end of every sermon because he won't stop pounding the pulpit. I mean, I pound every once in a while, but you know. <laughs> but the whole point is for me to stand up here and just say, you, Ashley Powell, obey. You, Ashley, picking on the Ashleys. You, Ashley Carr, obey with no thought, with no teaching, with no acknowledgement 
of God's grace and the love that we have for God because he's poured his love into our hearts via the Holy Spirit, Romans 5. To, To not mention that would turn us into a church that all of a sudden thinks that there's all these rules that we need to keep and then we, we decide what those rules are and then we start deciding who's not keeping those rules and we develop sort of this, this system of operation in this church that is just wagging the finger at everybody that walks in if they're not upholding these particular kinds of standards that you don't find in scripture. Do you see what I'm saying with that? That's why it's so important to say, yes, obey God. But let's back up a little bit and talk about where our love for God is. Because to obey God out of a love for God means, as Jesus instructed us, that his commandments aren't burdensome. So we need to keep his word. And we need to work hard to keep his word. But keeping his word needs to come and flow out of a love for God. Here's what Jesus said in John 14. He answered them. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him. And we will make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. You see what it says there? Do you see how he doesn't flip it? Whoever does not love me doesn't keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So trust my word. Trust my word is what he's telling them. And so this love and this obedience that flows out of this love that we have for God, it also extends to one another, right? Because someone who loves God and obeys the commandments of God out of that love that is just circulating and flowing and growing in our hearts, you know who benefits? Everybody to the left and right of you, right? Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By the way, he says, this is how all people will know that you're my disciples. So how are they going to know you're my disciples? By by anything other than loving one another? Well, no, I mean, because that's what he says. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love for God and others is how we know the word of God is living authentically in us. So this is why you avail yourself to God's word. Because as you benefit from this ordinary means of grace, so does everyone around you. Not not in a way that the only thing that comes out of your mouth are Bible verses every time you're in a conversation, right? We've been around those people. That wouldn't be letting the word of God humble you by giving you good wisdom and discernment. But as you devote yourself to God's word with a, a humble heart and with a prayerful spirit, you will find some things begin to happen as God sharpens and ripens and renews and matures your heart and your affection for Jesus because there's only one way that happens and it's if we are connected to the words that he's given as the means for it to happen. And we see three things when we devote ourselves to God's word in that way. Number one, we begin to see God for who he really is. Exodus 15, 11 tells us, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? 
Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds and doing wonders? When you devote yourself to God's word, when you establish a pattern in your life, you will see the unparalleled beauty and majesty and power of God and all the spectacular ways that it's unleashed in the world that he's created. I mean, not only will you see his holiness, not only will you see his wrath and his intolerance of sin, all of those are very real things, but you'll also see the overwhelming and abundant nature of his love and his grace and his mercy and his patience and his peace, which will move you to more profound levels of gratefulness for the person and work of Jesus Christ. God's word is how you see God for who he really is, which doesn't mean you know facts about God, but it means you gain the wisdom and understanding and how to apply the knowledge because your eyes are being opened and enlightened day after day, week after week, month after month to God's desire and will for your life, which comes again in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But you have to go back over and over and over it again to draw from it, to draw from the well of it. Why? Why can't I just read the word once a year? Well, you can, but the problem is, is that we have the tendency to get spiritually dehydrated quickly and constantly. If that happens to us physically, why would it not be the case spiritually for us? right? And this is what happens when you are experiencing spiritual hydration and starvation. And some of y'all are experiencing that. You think your problem is this and that and that over there and that over there, and it might be. But what is it the result of? Well, it can be the result of many things. But if you are grounding yourself in the word, the way that you process and approach those things is going to be far different because you are not going to be spiritually starved and dehydrated. Because ultimately what that does, it causes us to believe things about God that aren't true. Because why? Because we're not spending time with him to be reminded of what's true about him, right? It's like people in the desert. You've seen the old movies. You know, they're hiking through the desert. They're thirsty. They're dying of thirst. And they think they see a mirage but it's not a mirage. I mean, it is a mirage. It's not the palm trees. It's not the oasis. It's just delirium. Why? Because they're dehydrated and they're seeing things not as they really are. And that's what happens to us when we aren't devoting ourselves to God's word. Because without the reproof and the correction and the training that we receive, we can become convinced about things concerning God that aren't true. For example, without the benefit of God's word, we'll have the tendency to interpret negative life situations by believing that God is harsh towards us. How do we remedy that? We read scripture, we engage in scripture, we immerse ourselves in scripture to see how patient God is, how calm he is, how much forbearance and long-suffering he has. We believe what's good about God because the Bible tells us what's good about God. It also tells us things that we can't know about God, but that we should trust the things that we can't see and not know because of the character of the things that he does reveal to us. 
And so we don't reinterpret God, but we interpret God rightly through scripture. We can also become convinced that God just, man, he's, I mean, he's just doing his own thing. God is just lenient. He doesn't care. And the world is our playground, man, just to live, think, act, and proceed however we desire. Because I just, man, I don't, see, I don't see him. I don't see him that invested, right? How do we remedy that? Well, we read scripture to be reminded that God does not tolerate sin forever. So even some of those things we see that cause us so much grief, God doesn't tolerate those things forever, right? And that he's a holy God that gives us guardrails that exist for our flourishing. Secondly, as you devote yourselves to God's word, you'll begin to see not only God for who he really is, but you'll begin to see yourself for who you really are. Paul tells us in Romans 7, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. Paul is pleading. But he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul is distressed because he sees how much his flesh threatens to control him, but he's not in despair because Jesus has delivered him from his body of death. So the beauty of God's word is that it shows us how sinful we are, but it also shows us what a savior we have. A savior for loving us to the depths that he does since while we were yet sinners, Christ came and he died for us. And so the implications for you and for me in this is that we have freedom from bondage to the desires of our hearts that blind and deceive us. So God's word, man, it's just going to reveal things in your nature that are contrary to Christ. But here's what's great. It doesn't just leave you there. It doesn't just reveal those things and say, great, go do something with it. It leads you towards Christ. It leads you towards the riches of Christ and his forgiveness and his faithfulness. Man, it gets ugly sometimes because we don't like to believe we are as ugly on the inside as we find out we are. So my daughter just made a cake yesterday for her boyfriend's birthday. And the cake came out of the pan, man, and it just, I mean, I love this kid, man, but it just, it didn't happen for her, you know? The, the cake came out of the pan all cracked. Thing was just like, it was like looking at a picture of the Grand Canyon, you know, on that thing, right? And Melissa had to literally talk her off the ledge. But then this miraculous thing happened. She put the frosting on it and it just like was transformed into something out of the food network, right? And it tasted incredible, I, allegedly, because she didn't overnight me a piece, I'll tell you that much. Um, but we go to God's word because it does this thing where it takes who we are and we are covered by God's grace and the mercy and how we know we can receive it. God's word, it cuts sometimes like a scalpel, but it also heals us like a surgeon's knife. Only God's word can do that. Only God's word can open your eyes to the possibility that you're just not seeing yourself clearly, that you're blind to your sin. And then to remind you of how much compassion God has for sinners like you and for me, right? Finally, when you devote yourself to God's word, you will see others as they truly are. So you're gonna see God how he truly is. You're gonna see yourself as you really are. And you will see others as they truly are, which is that they are image bearers of God who you are called to love and to forgive and to serve. So when you see God for who he truly is, and something happens 
in those moments. You see yourself in a new light and then you have a lens to see others in light of those two realities. And the result is a renewed sense of love and forgiveness for others and a desire to serve them. This is how the church lives out its redemptive reality. This is how the church enjoys the benefits of its redemption. We know God from God's word. We know ourselves from God's word. We love others because of the effect that God's word has in reshaping and renewing our hearts. And in the midst of this devotion and illumination, this amazing thing happens where we experience God's grace over and over again, his unmerited favor. Here's my question. What words today have the greatest running commentary in your life? What words? Some of you may just have a constant diet of innocuous words filling your heart, distracting your mind. They're not providing any spiritual muscle mass for you. They're like a sheet of paper in a windstorm, right? Meaning there's just absolutely nothing to hold you steady and keep your feet planted firmly on the ground. Some of you are being indoctrinated. You're being indoctrinated by news channels, by social media, to the point that you've lost all sense of wisdom, discernment, and understanding. Listen, what we saw at the Capitol the other day are people who have not been discipled by God's word. We saw bitterness. We saw selfish ambition. We saw a wisdom that does not come from above. And the proof was in the fruit of the actions that we saw. Now, Ronnie, I don't know. You're tipping over. You're getting political. I'm not getting political. James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. It's God's word that gives us that meekness and that wisdom. But if you, James says, have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. Because this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. He doesn't just leave it there though, okay? Because he says this, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, then it's gentle, and it's open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. All of this comes from a church who is devoted to the illuminating light and grace and mercy of God's word that is circulating in your heart, teaching you, reproving you, correcting you, training you in righteousness. How will you be able to not just have some basic knowledge of God's word, but to have understanding and discernment? How will you see God for who he truly is? How will you see yourself for who you truly are and love and serve others in light of those truths? How will that even happen? How is that possible? Well, it comes by devoting yourself to drinking from the well of God's word with diligence and desperation, 
where you will taste and see the goodness of God through the grace of Jesus Christ, which flows like a fountain in the hearts of those who receive it with humility and joy. Amen. Let me pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word and the gift that your word is to us. Lord, would you give us a love for you that then overflows with a desire to read your word, to open your word, to just immerse ourselves in your word. But we have grace for those days and those seasons when we are not in your word, like we know we should be. You are not coming down on us and condemning us. You are not the angry teacher that is chastising us. But Lord, you are there, you are available. It's your word that we know your heart. And so Lord, I pray that we would be compelled and committed to go deeper into your word so that we're a people that greater reflects your son. Lord, just change our desires and our love for you. Thank you for the grace and the patience you have with us in this journey, we pray in Christ's name, amen.